Christmas music, and um, it's great to be with you. I also uh, want us to welcome back our, our pastor for community outreach, Mr. Ken Scrub, this morning, who's with us from recovering from knee surgery. He said he is uh, glad to not listen to a TV preacher today, so uh, he is getting around uh, much better, and we're honored to have him back with us today. I do want to also uh, encourage you for the prayer guide in your bulletin for the week of prayer for international missions. I do want to challenge you to follow those requests each day this week. When you uh, spend time with the Lord, or if that's not your habit yet, try to make some time, carve out some moments every day this week, and specifically lift up one of those missionaries to the Lord and asking for his blessing. And sometimes we forget about there, there really are so many on the front lines that are away from family that uh, have taken up the, the cause to share Christ with many who've never heard him. My sister and brother-in-law are some of our international mission boards that our, our church supports, missionaries, and they're in Ethiopia. I was uh, speaking with them um, back and forth on uh, around Thanksgiving, and they don't have course they, they live in Ethiopia they don't celebrate Thanksgiving there they can't even get a turkey there but they it was sort of a mixed blessing but because when you when you get sick or have uh, surgery you have to fly into South Africa usually which is the most modern uh, country in Africa and so they were kind of sad but kind of happy because someone on their team needed surgery so they're able to bring back a turkey from South Africa so uh also, there was another crisis that was averted. Y'all may have heard that sugar cane uh, production in Africa is down. And that she, the day before Thanksgiving, she gave us a little, it's called a boxer. It's a little Skype on your phone. And she said, pray for us because there is no sugar in the entire city of Addis Ababa. So we may not have dessert for our Thanksgiving meal. The Lord answered and with, they sent their guard combing the area for sugar and they found some. So, so we were, you know, Thanksgiving was saved, uh, but nonetheless, they work with the Unreached People Group that has uh, maybe just a, there's about nine million of the, the Somali people, and somewhere between one to three hundred uh, Christians out of nine million people, so they work hard to raise the flag of the gospel and see people come to know Christ, so we need to lift up our missionaries uh, serving on the ends of the earth. Well, today I'm excited to be with you because in John chapter 15, we're, we're, we're finishing our, our sermon series on breakthrough, and uh, we've looked at some powerful Im images and vivid illustration our, our Lord used to teach us that he wants to live his life through us, and that apart from him, we can do nothing, and that uh, we can bear much fruit by being his disciples and trusting his life within us, and uh, two weeks ago, if you recall, we looked at that sort of dark passage between verses 18 and 25 about hatred and about how the world will likely hate us because of who we're associated with and talked in there about how to respond to the hatred of this world. And he ends this section in verses 26 and 27 talking to believers about the incredible gift he would be leaving behind uh, this is the context of this of course is just a few days before his death on a cross and some 40 plus days before he ascended into heaven and so in chapters 14 through 16 he's making a really big emphasis that i am going to leave behind 
my Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, and he's going to dwell within the disciples. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, he tells us in John 14, but there will be, there's another one coming, and he will live and dwell within believers. And so we're privileged, if we know Christ in a personal way, that in a very spiritual sense, Christ's Spirit dwells within us. And he made mention of that and especially made mention of the importance of the Spirit's work and our trusting the Spirit to uh, speak and testify to others through us. So as we look at this passage together today, I want to first of all read John 15 verses 26 through 27 as we talk about experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. There's an old Indian legend of a village leader that came down from the mountains and saw his first glimpse of what Indians refer to as the great water. And it was his first glimpse of the ocean. And he had a jar uh, with him, and he scooped up the ocean water inside the jar. And someone asked what he was doing, and he said, My people have never seen the great water, so I want to take this back to them so that they may see it. Of course, it's not the same to look at some ocean water inside a jar as it is to behold it. And in some ways, trying to explain the Holy Spirit is like scooping the ocean in a jar. We can't do it justice for all the vastness that there is from the the third person of the Godhead coming to dwell within our hearts. But this morning, as we talk about experiencing the power of the Spirit, there's a couple things that Christ wants us to understand from His Word. The first principle this morning involves this, number one on your outline, and that's understanding how the Spirit works. There's four different aspects that Christ taught us in verse 26 about how the Spirit of God works. First of all, A, He is our divine counselor. That's what we read, first of all, in in 26 when it says, When the counselor comes. We're told in John 14, 16, and 17 that the counselor will come and be with you forever. Now, we use the word counselor to talk about someone that gives advice, someone that gives advice. Uh, encouragement and counsel and instruction instruction to us Susie and I had a premarital counselor at the church where we're going to in college with a wise sage man called brother Burtis he was sort of a legend in our area and we were honored and he was a professional counsel as well as an associate pastor at our church and we went through about five different sessions with brother Burtis and taught us the ways of married life But when we finished counseling with him, he stayed at the church, and we went our own way. When we were married on June 6, 1992, uh, a little bit after that, we moved into seminary housing in Fort Worth at the the campus there on the seminary, and we had a little bitty two-bedroom apartment right near the school. And one thing that didn't happen is that Brother Burtis did not come and live in that second bedroom. Although there would be some times where I think Susie wished he was there (laughs) to say, how come men are so messy? 
Why are men so strange? Why, does my, why did my husband drill a hole in our wall and our ceiling when he asked him to hang up that plant? She found out about my mechanical bypass pretty quickly in our marriage. It would have been nice if there was a 24 dial a counselor person right there, but he wasn't, and we made it by the grace of God very well. But the, the truth is, though it's nice for us to get counsel and encouragement from people on this earth, we have an amazing gift as believers that the greatest counselor in the world dwells within us. You think about all of us have been in the role of a counselor before. In other words, we've all given some encouragement or some advice to someone. One of the more frustrating things that can happen is when we give someone some advice and they take it and things don't work out so well. And they'll come back sometimes to say to us, well, why did you tell me to do this or go this route? And sometimes we have to say, you know what? The advice I gave <laughs> turned out not to be the best. We realize that when we're going to a council, we realize that they're not giving us an authoritative, infallible, unerring word. They're giving us their heart, their thoughts, their best intentions. But our council is nothing compared to the unerring truth of the Holy Spirit. We have the greatest counselor in the world that dwells within us. Also, this word counsel means someone who comes to the aid of of another. It was a term used of someone who would stand by a soldier to give them supplies and to be their support, someone that was an aid to them to help them complete their task. And the Spirit of God is both one who gives us his counsel, his wisdom and advice, and one who comes to our aid in the weary battle of the spiritual life. So the Spirit, first of all, functions as our counselor. A second principle helps us in understanding the Spirit is B, He comes from the Father. Where we are from tells a lot about us. Did the Holy Spirit just pop out of nowhere? Did He just appear out of the skies? No, we're told by Jesus Himself that when the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. By the way, verse 26 is one of several passages in the New Testament where all three persons of the Trinity are found in one verse. Some might say, well, why do we believe in the Trinity? You don't find the word the Trinity in the Bible. You certainly don't find the word there, but you find the truth of it. You find the teaching of it. And so theologians, so to speak, invented a word that describes the truth that is clearly found in Scripture. The fact that there is one true God mentioned, but three persons that are said to be divine, and they are one in essence. And so in verse 26, you see Jesus speaking using the word I, and him mentioning the Holy Spirit, and then mentioning the Father. So the Son, the Father, and the Spirit, all found here, are of the exact same essence. There are some that have wanted to limit the role of the Holy Spirit as less than God, as one who represents the force of God, or an expression of the power of God. Some also want to depersonalize the Holy Spirit and refer to Him as an it. But it is clearly, like at the end of verse 26, when it says, He will testify about me. The Spirit of God is a divine person of the same essence with God the Father. So the roots and the stock of the Spirit are divine. And we must realize that we have, in a very spiritual sense, God himself 
as our counselor right from the Heavenly Father that is dwelling within us, living his life and imparting his life to us. Uh, Another teaching about what the Spirit does is found in verse 26, and it's C on your outline under number one, is that he guides us in to truth. The Spirit of God has a synonym, or he's also referred to as the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. Now, if there's anything we need in this world, it's more truth, less lies. In our heart, we know what it's like to have this dichotomy of truth and lies. I think most of our hearts were affected this week. There was a dim shadow that covered a week of celebration and of joy and of family with a news report out in in Missouri of the continual civil unrest and the rioting after the verdict was released of the shooting there in Ferguson. And I, my heart broke at the whole situation, hurting for all who were hurting and understanding, not in a personal sense, but trying to understand and sympathize with the pain, yet disagreeing with the reaction. As, we, as, I, as I read a little bit about the trial itself, I thought to myself, there's not one soul in America that would, like, would envy the jurors that had to be on that grand jury that decided the fate of the officer. And one thing I noted and read was that there were mountains and mountains of testimonies and uh, of people testifying, some 60 people, and much of the evidence was conflicting and contradicted each other. And so they had to come and try their best to discern in an unbiased way the best they could what was truth and what was lie or what was truth and what was a different perspective we can understand when people see something they don't realize they're going to be testifying before a grand jury and so this person saw this and this person saw this and this person said that we can only hope that they said what was truthful and there wasn't biased and Everyone mentioned how challenging it was to really get to the bottom of exactly what happened. They're speaking of new technology to know in the future that maybe we could do things and have more cameras so we could really understand what truth is. Don't we feel the same way in our own spiritual life? As we fight the battle of faith and our walk with Christ, sometimes we're the same way. What's truth? And what's a lie? Especially on issues where we may not feel that the Bible has a clear, direct message for us. What should I do? What is best? Not just what is okay. What's foolish? What's wise? What's right? And what's wrong? We have God's Word to guide us, but we also have the Spirit of truth that dwells within us. And one of the things we need to do as believers is to reach a point in our spiritual life where we are so desirous of God's will and God's way, and we're shifting our gear from our own will all the way down into neutral to where all we desire is what God wants for our life. And then we get the privilege of claiming that we have the spirit of truth that dwells within us. We're told in John chapter 16, verse 13, that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
And so when we have a challenging decision that is a moral decision or maybe a personal decision that we're facing, we get the privilege of calling upon God and saying, Lord, all I want to do is follow you and do your will. And I pray that you, the spirit of truth, I trust you, I claim that you'll guide me into all truth. And the longer we walk with God, we find that our discernment goes up. Our distaste for lies increases and our love for truth grows stronger and that way when the enemy satan himself who is the father of lies jesus told us in john 8 44 when he whispers temptations to us we become more and more uninterested in listening to his quote voice because we have the spirit of truth that dwells within us we must be men and women that go by the truth, that live for the truth, and cling to the truth. And we have so much aid in that battle. Why? Because the spirit of truth dwells within us. We also note something else of the spirit of God in verse 26 of his function, as interestingly as it sounds, is that D, under number one, that the spirit witnesses to us. We hear often in the scripture, often, in sermons and Bible studies, that we are to be Christ's witnesses. And we'll look at that in a moment in verse 27. But before we can ever testify and witness for Christ, we so desperately need the Spirit to witness to us. It says in verse 26, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, He will testify about me. That word testify, it simply means to tell what you know and the spirit of god the, the reason we don't often sing worship songs that say praise be to the spirit of god glory to the spirit which on a theological scale is not necessarily wrong because the spirit is as divine as the father and the son but the spirit's role is to testify to the son he glorifies jesus we're told in john chapter 16 verse 14. And so the Spirit points to Jesus. Matter of fact, that one of the functions of the Spirit as He testifies is to grant assurance to us as believers. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, or it bears witness with our hearts that we're God's children. That verse has meant a lot to me through the years, Romans 8, 16. Because I remember moments in my youth and some as a young man where my early conversion sometimes confused me. I don't know if you've ever gone through moments like that, but I remember praying uh, vaguely with my parents to receive Christ when I was eight years old. They felt that I understood, and all I knew was that was going to church and believing in Christ and things of the like. But there were some times where I, my growth in Christ wasn't as it should be, and I felt sometimes as though I were lost, even though there was a conviction of sin and there was the Spirit dwelling within me, but I didn't always, quote, feel saved. Oftentimes when we know that we've received Christ and we don't feel saved, it's because our spiritual growth is fainting and lacking. And so when I came across this verse, Romans chapter 8, 16, that says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children, I began to ask the Lord, Lord, testify with my spirit that I'm yours. 
it was almost as if, as if I were opening in my heart, saying to the Spirit of God, witness to me, Jesus. Bear witness, testify to me that I belong to you. God was very faithful in those moments where I most needed his witness to remind me that I belong to him. As the Spirit testifies to us, he convicts us of sin, which is one of the marks of someone who knows Christ. He also aids and gives us comprehension to his word. Have you ever had wrestled with a spiritual truth or maybe a passage of scripture and you just couldn't get it? And oftentimes we still may not get and understand everything, but anything we're able to discern and understand is because the spirit is testifying to us and enabling us to have comprehension of his word this is just scratching the surface so to speak of what the function and what the spirit does but these four things is at least a minor overview of some of the role of the spirit but there's more than that christ wanted us to know there's a second aspect this morning about experiencing the power of the holy spirit and that's number two on your outline and that's this to respond correctly to the spirit here's what the spirit does what is our response? What's our responsibility in light of us having the spirit of truth within us? Well, the first thing we note in verse 27 is A under number two, and that's this. You trust the spirit to witness through you. Not only does the spirit witness to you, but he wants to witness through you. In verse 27, Jesus looked at the disciples and said, and you also must testify he said the spirit's going to testify about me and then jesus said and guess what you are also going to testify about me this often scares us doesn't it that we're to be the witnesses of christ that i'm supposed to with my frail ability with my not so hot knowledge of the scripture into this cold cruel hostile world where people hate jesus i am supposed to testify to Jesus? Well, one good thing this verse didn't say is you are to be my lawyers. It didn't say be, my, be a lawyer for Christ. We have some great Christian lawyers, but we as his followers are not supposed to be lawyers. You know what a lawyer, a lawyer does what we want him to do when we want him. I used to have a, a lawyer friend that was, went to my church where I served previously, and he didn't really, he was one of those guys that would laugh at lawyer jokes. But he said, you know, you can call us what you want, but when you need us, you'll call us. <laughs> a lawyer is one who represents you in a court of law and puts up a defense for your case. Uh, usually, the, the lawyer is supposed to uh, fight for you and legally do the best he can to convince the authority that you are truth. Now, there's an element to our sharing the faith where sometimes we do have to go into issues and questions i had a someone ask me recently why would god allow such tragedy and suffering to come into my life does god hate me is god against me and so yes there are times where we get the privilege of explaining or seeking and attempting to explain some of the truths about christ but we're not his lawyers primarily we are his witnesses i remember it's about eight or nine years ago, someone who uh, attended our church where we used to serve uh, was in a bit of a legal situation. It, it, in some ways, it was a very simple case, but in other ways, he was concerned about it because someone uh, had falsely accused him of making a, 
uh, a life threat against him. And the person was bringing a suit about him. And he was a very strong leader in our church and said, Pastor, will you come and just kind of be with me there that day when I'm in court? And I said, sure, I'd be happy to. And so I knew the lawyer representing him. And there was my church member and friend. And I was sitting beside him. And we were in the back of the room. There was another case going on. I said, man, I'm just praying for you, lifting up the Lord. He goes, okay. And then his daughter turned to me and says, all right, Cliff, when you take the stand, what I want you to do is, I said, excuse me? He goes, yeah, you're going to testify a character, you're a character witness for Wayne here today. I was like, no. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I watched a few Perry Mason reruns and stuff, but <laughs> what, you, what do you want me to do? So I'm, I'm my, my, you, you give me a pulpit and I'll, I'll, I'll do, I can preach forever, but uh, never stood on a witness stand with real lawyers and real judges and all that stuff. That was for the movies as far as I was concerned. And so he said, no, all you have to do is this, and you, I'll ask the questions and you do this. And I'm going, okay, trying not to let my sweat show. And I was nervous the whole time until I was asked to, uh, you know, swear on the Bible and all that, that, all that good stuff, sit on the stand, and then the lawyer begins to ask me questions. You know what I found? The questions were simple because he was simply asking me to, tell, to tell everybody what I knew about my friend Wayne. Tell him what his character was like. Well, that was easy. He was a person of great character. I loved the guy. He was a prince of a person. And, and that I knew just a little bit about the accuser and the situation involved. And I shared what I knew about the perspective and, and all that went on. And then when I was finished, I sat down and I let the, the, the judge and the lawyers take care of the rest. Because I didn't have anything to do about all the other aspects of the case. I couldn't make a decision. I couldn't get anyone to correctly decide and rule. But I could testify to what I knew. Well, have you ever been, felt the same way when you knew that you had an opportunity to talk to someone about Christ and all of a sudden your heart's beating fast and you're thinking that you've got to be a lawyer, that you're thinking that you've got to squeeze a decision out of somebody, you're thinking that you have to affect their case and make a decision for them and make a friendship awkward and get all heated and get all upset. That's not what it's about, being a witness. A witness simply remembers, tells what they know. And the question is, do you know Jesus? And if you know Jesus, then all you have to do is tell somebody how he's changed your life. Tell somebody how he has given you hope. How he has given you the gift of eternal life. I'm not saying it's a normal thing to do in a conversation anymore. And I'm not saying it will always go great. But I do want to, you to know that in the opportunities I've had to share my faith through the years, it has rarely gone poorly especially if you really care about somebody and all you're trying to do is simply testify to the most greatest decision that's ever happened in your life the most wonderful person that's ever lived and you're telling what you know i do i do have some encouragement for you on this matter there's a little outline that doesn't make a whole lot of sense in terms of what it spells but i want to encourage you to pray the bowl outline as you seek to witness it's not bowling for there's no hidden message in there it's just four little letters that make up the word bowl i'll try to work on that to improve that word but anyway uh, there, the, this will help you. It's goofy enough to help you remember what to pray for yourself as you witness. The first one, 
Number one, under A, is boldness. Pray for boldness. That's what the apostles prayed. Peter prayed in Acts 4, 29. He said, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Boldness does not mean harshness, loudness, rudeness. It just means that inner vigor to change the conversation and to speak of Christ. Peter asked for boldness. Paul, who seems very bold, prayed for boldness. It's basically saying, Lord, give me the courage to take a stand for you. Number two, O, pray for opportunities. Some of you say, I don't need to pray for opportunities, I just need to seize them. Others of you may not exactly know who you should share your faith with, who in your world that you know is not a Christian. Maybe it's a neighbor or a co-worker. Ask God for chances to share your faith. And, and that's what Paul prayed while he was in prison. He said, Lord, open up doors that I may proclaim your word. And as I pray Colossians 4, 3, and ask God to open up doors in my life, I often sense God giving me chances in proportion to my asking him for them. Number three, we need to pray for wisdom. Uh, Colossians 4, 5 says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Do you sometimes just not know when to say, how to say it, and, and where, and the best approach to say it? God promises to speak through us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, and, and he promises in James 1, 5 to give him wisdom when we ask for it. So we need that perception of God to know when to say, how to say, and what to say. Number four under A is the word love. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, Paul prayed that your love may increase and overflow for each other. Oftentimes, the, the reason we don't share our faith is because a real lack of love and concern for others. I heard Pastor Adrian Rogers tell a story about a young girl that came down the aisle at the end of the service to receive Christ in her life, and she was a young girl, but she knew what she was asking for, and she was speaking with the counselor and said, I, you know, I want to pray and I want to ask Christ in my life, and he prayed with her, and he talked to her about baptism and he said, honey, um, we believe that you're for real and you're serious, but we want to wait just a little bit more before we baptize you until you really understand more about what Christ is, uh, what his word is. And she began to cry right after that. And this uh, man counselor was like, well, sweetheart, we didn't say you can't be baptized. We just want you to wait just a little bit. And she said, oh, no, I'm not crying because, you're, because of the baptism. I'm crying because I now want my brother to hear about Jesus. Already she was burdened. She just prayed and asked Christ, and already she's weeping and burdened for people that don't know Christ. Can you imagine having the cure to something like Ebola and saying, I'm going to keep this to myself? We have the cure in Christ of the greatest disease and the most heartbreaking disease that takes life after life after life and sends life into eternity, and that's the good news of Jesus, the forgiveness of sin. We must care enough by the grace of God to be his witness. The last part of this verse, Christ says, for you have been with me from the beginning. Our response to the Spirit is not just testifying about Christ and trusting him to witness through us, but B, we're to yield to the Spirit by staying current with Christ. In other words, the disciples had been with Jesus and so they were effective witnesses. We're only going to be effective witnesses when our lives have been with Jesus. Sometimes we have more marks of being with the world instead of being with Jesus. Your witness is simply an overflow of your own walk with Christ. I heard a story about a few men back in the gold rush days of our country that were in Montana and discovered some rocks that had some rich gold right in the middle of them. And so they kind of hid where the rocks were 
and realized there were so many that they didn't have enough supplies to get all this gold. And so they vowed not to tell anybody else about their fine and went back into town for a day or so to get the, the right amount of supplies for their gathering. And as they're leaving the next day to go back to the place where they found the gold, they had, the story says there were hundreds of people that were following them. And one of the men stood up and said, Who squealed? Who told you about this? And someone spoke up and said, We didn't, no one had to tell us anything. We could see it on your face. <laughs> they must have come back down from the hill saying, Man, we're going to be rich. Man, there's gold up there. They could see it on their face. And in some ways, if we're mining the gold of the word of God, and we're calling upon him in prayer, we're strengthening and nurturing our walk with Jesus, it's obvious to others, to this world that is so joyless. You know, it's funny, I got a, on the way home from Thanksgiving, I got an email from a little girl in the neighborhood I grew up in. She's now 34 years old, but when I was, when I was growing up, she was, you know, 10 years younger than me. She was the you know, the little sister of a kid I played with a few doors down from me. And it was weird. My sons and I and my niece and nephew were in the front yard on Thanksgiving Day throwing the football around, playing a friendly two-man touch game. And she drove up. I, have, I don't even know what she looks like anymore, but she drove up and sort of watched our family play and laugh and have a good time. And then she went into her family and went home, and she wrote. She, found, she Googled me and found our website and found uh, my name and wrote me and said, you know, I saw y'all having such a good time that I wanted to ask you a few questions because my life has fallen apart. And it was interesting. She was suffering and wanted some hope and saw some people that were laughing, throwing the football around, and remembered that we went to church and that we believed in God. Kind of blew my mind. And, and, and I'm going to have Susie and others you know, follow up with her more. But sometimes... The world needs to see it on our face before they believe it. As we consider what God wants us to do in our response to the power of the Holy Spirit, I'd like us to take a moment as we consider this passage and bow before the Lord. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you've given us a counselor who comes from the Father, the Spirit of truth. Thank you, Lord, that you testify, that you witness to us. And it's my great prayer today, Lord, that as you witness to us, that we would witness for you, that you would live your life through us in a way that we wouldn't miss. Lord, we don't have what it takes to share our faith. We don't have any boldness. We don't have any wisdom, and we sure don't have any love. But you have all of that, and I pray that you would supply it to us. Lord, we're frail. We don't have all the answers to someone who has that big whopper question. But I pray that we'd humbly, simply testify to what we know of you, to what we've experienced with you, and how the overflow of our life with you, Lord, witness through us this world needs to hear it it's a life and death situation so use us for your namesake in jesus name we pray amen